0: Good morning. This is Sunday, Ozarks at Large. I'm Kyle Kellum. Sitting next to me in the Ozarks at Large studio is Haim Goodman-Strauss. Good morning, Kyle. Good morning, Heim. He's a math professor at the University of Arkansas. And we have a guest on the phone, don't we, Heim?
1: We sure do. Bill Poundstone, author of The Prisoner's Dilemma, is here with us. Hi, Bill. Hi.
0: Now, we're going to talk about The Prisoner's Dilemma in a little bit. But, Haim, in the last couple of weeks, you've introduced us to game theory. That's right. And so one, we thought we'd
1: ask you, Bill, uh, what is game theory? What's it good for?
2: Yeah. Well, the name's a little confusing. When you say game theory, I suppose a lot of people think it tells you how to play poker or Monopoly right. or something like that. Uh, I think it, it's more fairer to say it's, it's really a science of strategy. Uh, whenever you're in a situation where there's an element of conflict of interest but also an element of cooperation – Uh, And you're trying to figure out what to do. You're trying to psych out uh, your partner and decide, you know, if I do this, he'll think this, and that means I should do that. That's really the whole idea of game theory.
0: Now, Haim, a couple weeks ago, introduced rock, paper, scissors as a very elementary uh, sort of thing that game theory could orbit around. Mm -hmm. And, And obviously, game theory has been used and studied in things much more complicated than rock, paper, scissors. Yeah.
2: Probably the most famous game of all that game theory studies is one called the Prisoner's Dilemma. Uh, and this really started uh, at a place called the RAND Corporation, which was a big defense uh, think tank uh, out here in California, and particularly in the 50s. It was hugely influential in determining you know, our nuclear policy. Uh, so they tried to think of various strategic situations that might you know, have implications for, for the whole idea of defense. And one of the things they came up with is, was this very simple game uh, called The Prisoner's Dilemma. Uh, and it basically goes like this. You assume that there are two prisoners who have been are parties to some crime, and the police put them in separate cells and uh, offer both of them this very same deal, which basically says... Uh, look, we've got some evidence on you, and we can we can send you to jail on a lesser charge, but we really want to get at least one of you in jail on some major charge. And the only way we're going to do that is if one of you rats out the other. <laughs> so we're going to make it easy for you. Um, basically, if you will rat out your partner, we're going to let you off scot-free. Uh, but if if both of you rat out each other, well, then we're gonna we're gonna have to throw the book at you. Uh, so they create a situation where really you're better off ratting out the other guy, no matter what the other guy does. And this is a very uh, interesting type of situation. In a sense, really both of you should stay mum. Uh, you should cooperate by, in other words, not accepting this this offer to rat out the other guy. Because then you'll both end up with a rather minor sentence. Uh, But there's always this temptation to take the offer because then you can end up uh, without any punishment at all and the other guy gets this maximum punishment. Uh, Unfortunately, if both people try to act reasonably and do that, then you're both going to get a pretty serious punishment. So what should you do in that type of situation? Well, it was interesting because game theory really didn't seem to have an entirely satisfactory answer. Uh the best uh the best explanation of what to do that they had in game theory was the one devised by John Nash uh, of Beautiful Mind fame. And he basically decided that you want in a situation like this to come up with uh with a strategy that really leaves both sides with no regrets about doing what they they did. Uh, and in this particular situation, the only way that can happen is if both parties rat out the other, because you figure, you know, at mm. least that way, I'm not going to be uh, the guy who gets exploited by getting the maximum sentence when the other guy rats me out. But as I said, this really isn't the best, uh, the best outcome all around, because they really ought to just, you know, stay mom and get uh, the minimum sentence. And this really disturbed a lot of people at RAND and, and elsewhere because it seemed like this was a situation where game theory really didn't seem to have an entirely satisfactory answer.
0: It doesn't seem to have a satisfactory answer.
2: Yeah, this certainly has a lot of resonance in the real world about the whole idea of we, we tend to get sucked into arms races, mm-hmm. both sides build ever bigger arsenals, but does it really make anyone uh, feel safer and you know, sleep better at night? And the answer is probably no.
1: So you've written a book called The Prisoner's Dilemma, which has uh, quite a bit of history and uh, discussion of all of these kinds of things. It's a really terrific book, I have to say. Thank you. And uh, I'd certainly encourage our listeners to go out and check it out.
2: Is yeah, this I, was, I was actually very fortunate because I was able to, to interview a lot of these people who were involved uh, at RAND. I spoke with both... Uh, Melvin Drescher and Merrill Flood, who were the two people who invented the prisoner's dilemma. Oh, wow. Uh, they're both deceased now, but, uh, but I was very
1: fortunate uh, to speak with them and got some great stories. Is it true that uh, John von Neumann was one of the models for Dr. Strangelove, or is that just totally apocryphal? Uh,
2: I, I think there's a lot of truth to it, because uh, in his later years, he, he had this, this very serious bone cancer, and oh. yet he, he insisted on, on keeping working. So he had a special uh, wheelchair that he would get into his Cadillac and go to, you know, uh, all these these big meetings in Washington on defense issues. Uh, so some people think that that is where they got that particular idea of this, this great scientist in well, the
1: wheelchair. Well, was he as cold-hearted as to advocate a first strike?
2: Yes, very much so, particularly in, in the 1950s, just when uh, when the Soviet Union was was starting to build up uh, their nuclear arsenal. He was saying that we should really try to knock out all of the Soviet nuclear facilities uh, and go for there. And he did actually try to convince uh, some people in the Eisenhower administration to take this seriously. Uh, there was a Secretary of the Navy who was actually um, um, advocating this as well, but. Uh, but otherwise, you know, basically they, they they didn't take it too seriously, and you know, obviously nothing was done.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I think that um, it really points out that there's a whole dimension of somehow being humans that mm-hmm. um, and interacting with each other that is missing from their analysis. Because uh-huh. clearly we didn't do first yeah. strike, and clearly the Soviets didn't seem to be too interested in in doing that either.
2: Yeah, I, I think one of the issues with applying game theory is that a lot of game theorists seem to assume that everyone, you know, operates from this mindset where you're going to try to understand what the other person is playing, the other person's going to be rational, you're going to be rational, uh, and it really doesn't, doesn't tend to work out that way. Uh, and a lot of the later research on the prisoner's dilemma really, really addresses that, because uh, one of the big puzzles ever since this was, was devised was why is there so much cooperation then in the real world? Uh, in fact, uh, Merrill flood, one of the inventors of the prisoner's dilemma told me that the very day that they invented this thing, they said, you know, this is not going to play out the way that John Nash said, we think people are going to cooperate. So to find it out after lunch, they actually organized a test of this, uh, corralling two other Rand employees to play against each other, uh, in, in the prisoner's dilemma. Now, uh, both of these, these, test subjects were well-known game theorists, but, of course, they had never heard of the Prisoner's Dilemma since uh, Flood and Dresher had just invented it before lunch. Uh, but they did give cash prizes. I think <laughs> like the maximum prize you could uh, win was two cents. Just to get uh, their attention. Yes, exactly. Uh, but, but they actually really got into it. In fact, they were kind of very competitive about it. Um, w- the way this was arranged, they, they basically played the Prisoner's Dilemma over 100 times in succession. Uh, and according to Nash's theory, you would expect that everyone would defect each time uh, because then you would avoid being exploited. But in fact, uh, what happened was about what Flood and Dresher expected. These two guys sort of instinctively ended up cooperating about 70% of the time. Uh, and they really couldn't figure out why that was, but it did seem to accord with, uh, with a lot of what we know about
1: human behavior.
2: Uh, And then, as I say, this became a great puzzle, and it wasn't until the 1980s that it was really addressed, I think, rather definitively by uh, Robert Axelrod. And He was actually um, a a political scientist at the University of Michigan, uh, but again, because the prisoner's dilemma had become such a big part of thinking on issues of defense and so forth, uh, it was something that that, uh, political scientists really thought a lot about. It occurred to Axelrod that it would be fun to have sort of a computer tournament of Prisoner's Dilemma strategies. Uh, now, this is like those computer tournaments of chess strategies where everyone you know, sends in some great chess program, or even like those robot contests where everyone builds a robot to yeah. destroy everybody else's robot. Uh, except in this case, they were playing the Prisoner's Dilemma, and the real point of this was for a program to get a good payoff by
1: cooperating
2: with other programs. Uh, again, without being exploited.
1: I'm sure there were some very clever and complicated uh, programs sent in.
2: Exactly. In fact, Axelrod told me that, uh, that uh, the most complicated program of all that he got actually did the worst in the <laughs> tournament. <laughs> and the one that, that did the best was one of the very simplest. Uh, now, the winning program was submitted by a game theorist, Anatole Rappaport, uh, and he called it tit-for-tat, now, it works this way. It's very simple. Um, you first cooperate in the very first game, and thereafter you do whatever the other guy did in the previous game. So, in other words, if he defected, you defect this time out, but if he cooperated, you cooperate this time. And this very simple program did the best of all... Uh, you know, it, it did better than all these much more complicated
1: programs. It never, it never actually beat any particular program, but overall it yeah. had the highest collective score. Exactly. Uh, so when you ask why that is, well,
2: for one thing, this program doesn't make trouble. It cooperates the first time out, and as long as it happens to be dealing with a cooperative partner, they're both going to get very good, stu- uh, very good scores. But of course, the trouble is if you're too eager to cooperate, others can take advantage of you. Mm-hmm. So what tit-for-tat does is it basically punishes a defector by defecting the next time. Uh, And this is sort of like housebreaking a dog. Uh, (laughs) If you're going to punish it, you've got to do it right away, and you've got to really rub his nose in it. So that's what tit-for-tat does. It basically poses this threat that anyone can understand, that if you defect, there are going to be immediate consequences. Uh, But again, uh, just as important, tit-for-tat is willing to show forgiveness. Mm -hmm. Uh, The instance that the other guy switches back to cooperating, you switch back too, and basically everyone wins. Uh, So Axelrod believes that this really says a lot about why we're all kind of hardwired to cooperate, because there really is an an advantage there uh, in in doing the right thing,
1: you might say. Yeah, I like it. I mean, it really seems to give a good lesson for how to live your life. You know, be nice, Mm -hmm. don't take guff, but do forgive others. Exactly. Seems like a good lesson. There's there's a lot of moral
0: lessons uh, in there. It's a good strategy. So if if someone's listening to Morning Edition on NPR or watching CNN or or you know reading your favorite news weekly can can you see I mean tenets of game theory behind current like events policy, yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um there there was a uh, a game called the dollar auction which of course you've had some experience with. Yeah, I love with. that game. Uh it was invented by uh by a guy named Martin Shubik who worked at ran with John Nash. And at this particular time, he and Nash were were sort of making their own little game of trying to devise simple parlor games that somehow represented various types of pathological human behavior. Uh, And someone suggested, uh, could you get a game that would sort of simulate the whole idea of addiction? So what they came up with was this game, The Dollar Auction, where basically you, you auction off a dollar bill. And it works pretty much like a regular auction in that you you take bids. They have to be an even number of pennies, of course. Uh, and the winning the person who who bids the highest amount gives that amount to the auctioneer, and then he takes home that dollar bill. But there's one interesting twist, and that is that the second highest bidder also has to turn over his second highest bid. But unfortunately, he doesn't get anything in return. Right. He just gets stiffed. <coughs> So you obviously don't want to be the second-highest bidder uh, in this particular game. Well, they tried this out, and it's really something I would encourage everyone to try at parties because it is a lot of fun. Uh, you start out by getting people, you know, giving these low-ball bids. Yeah, like, first there's you know, no problem. Jump yeah, right a, in. A and penny, two yeah, pennies, pennies sure. whatever. But you can see where this is heading. The, the bids keep getting higher, and the potential profit keeps getting less. So finally, you get one person bids 98 cents, another bids 99, and then they kind of hit themselves on the side of the head and say, well, there's no point in in bidding a dollar to get a dollar. That would be zero profit. But what you're forgetting is that the guy who's bid 98 cents, he's now the second highest bidder, and he's going to be in the whole 98 cents unless he can get someone else to be the second highest bidder. So he really has an incentive to bid a dollar. Uh, and at least that'll erase his debt. But then the guy who bid ninety-nine cents has incentive to bid a dollar and one, and it generally keeps on going. And I've heard people have, have auctioned off a dollar for like two or three dollars.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I did it. I, I once did this with kids with a hundred-dollar bill just to get them really wrapped up. <laughs> I got it up to two hundred
0: dollars before I <laughs> took pity on them. Did you make someone pay?
1: I didn't. Okay. I was that would have been kind of cruel. <laughs> it, I would, they were good sports. Ball, I, game, yeah. I was afraid they would start crying actually. It was I was really something I was worried about. And I uh-huh. guess ahead of time.
0: Part of the genius behind that is you don't realize what's happening the first That's time right. you're in it. You're just uh-huh. caught up. That's and right. by and the SP, time you figured it it's out. It's the
1: last two people to figure it out that are the ones that are in trouble.
0: Yeah. It's sort of like a business investment. You thought something was gonna cost a million dollars to build. Uh-huh. And by the time you've invested the million, and the, the contractor comes back and says it's $2 Well, you huh, can't huh. quit. Right. Yeah, or remodeling a house. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in for a penny, in for a pound. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's a scary game. It really is. It's scary to watch. Thank you very
0: much, Bill. Well, thank you. And Appreciate uh, it. That was a great call. That was. Uh, more about William Poundstone available at home.williampoundstone.net. And he's the author of The Prisoner's Dilemma. And his, the, the latest book of his that has come out is Fortune's Formula. And he says another one should be out on shelves in uh, early 2008. That's great. Heim, thanks a lot. Thank you, Kyle. am Goodman Strauss is a math professor at the University of Arkansas.